All right. Wednesday night, we saw that Peter was dealing with uh, salvation. Uh, in First Peter, we went over uh, verse 3 to 12, and, and uh, he's dealing with salvation. And we looked at three things on Wednesday, the truths about salvation. Uh, we looked at rejoicing in salvation, and then we ended on the messengers of salvation. And the point in verses 3 to 12 uh, is our salvation came by the mercy of God and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And no matter what we're going through, tests, trials, uh, whatever it may be that we're going through, our salvation is incorruptible. It's undefiled. It's, it, it will not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you and I, and it's kept by the power of God. And it's because of God, and it's in God, and, and it's in Christ, and because of Christ, right? It's all about Jesus. So, uh, wow, that, that alone should give us a cause for, you know, rejoicing, right? That's, that's enough. It, it gives, that's, our joy is inexpressible, and it's full of glory, and, and for sure we're, we're secure as believers in Christ Jesus because of Christ Jesus, right? We're secure in Him, uh, in our salvation because it's reserved in heaven. It's not reserved here on earth, and, and so we talked about that on Wednesday. And, and in verses 13 to 25, Peter now deals with the issue of the results of salvation, or, uh, the byproduct of salvation, or the, uh, really our response to salvation, however you want to put it. And, and in verse, uh, in fact, let's just read in First Peter, uh, go to verse 13. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And as obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Why? Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here <clears throat> in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct, received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as the lamb of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Amen. Because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass and the grass withers and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. And look back at verse 13. Peter, Peter deals with the the, uh, the byproduct of salvation, right? And I think it's evident in verse 13 when he says, therefore, you know, therefore, speaking of the context, right, of verse of chapter one or what we went over on Wednesday. And I think the point is simple. If we truly understand how 
glorious our salvation uh, is from the previous section that it talked about, it should have an effect on our lives. It sh- there should be a change. There should be a transformation in our lives and everything about us, right? And, and there's three things specifically that Peter is outlining for us here in our text. If we truly understand our salvation, it should, number one, result in a holiness of God, a holiness in our life. In verses 13 through 16, and uh, I'll just give you it all up front, and this is what we're going to go over today. Number one, a holiness in our life. Number two, uh, it should result in a healthy fear of God, and that's in verses 17 to 21. And then number three, it should result in a heart of love for others, according to verses 22 to 25. And so let's go over this first aspect uh, of our lives as a result of, you know, salvation in our lives because of Christ. If we really understand our salvation and how glorious it really is, there should be a a holiness within our lives. And, And look at verse 15. Just skip down a little bit. But as he who called you is holy, so pointing us to God, um, you also be holy in all, or some. Does it say some there? In some of your conduct. No, in all of your conduct, right? That speaks of our manner of life, <clears throat> the things that we do, the things that we say, places we go. And note the reason why. Because it is written. He, and he quotes from Leviticus 11.44, Leviticus 19.2. And, and he says, be holy for I am holy. And so this first section really deals with the holiness in our lives. And and if we truly believe and understand in how glorious the salvation really is, it should reflect in the fact that we are living uh, our lives that is indeed uh holy. And and in that word holy, hagios, um it simply means to be set apart, to be consecrated and it's used 232 times in the new testament and i think you know god is awesome he's wonderful he's perfect he's majestic he's on high and and yet he says we are to be just like him (laughs) i look at that i'm like oh man Um, but it's sad to say by the way this word holy a lot of people get that imagery of, you know, to be holy, you gotta be in a white, long white robe, you gotta be in this long fish hat thing, you gotta have your hands together like this, right? You gotta have a long sad face. Because being holy, you can't smile when you're holy, right? Have you guys seen any holy pictures with anybody smile? I haven't seen that. I'm like, what's up with that? You know, we're serious in heaven, right? It's... Anyways, um, so, Nope, no, the word means to be set apart. It means to be consecrated. According to verses 13 to 16, uh, being holy, being set apart, really involves four things. Uh, number one, being holy involves our mind. Notice in verse 13, it says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. And, and, and the word mind simply means understanding right our, our thoughts and and peter is encouraging us here to do really two things uh number one it involves our mind right so uh, gird up the loins of your mind and that word gird up only used here and nowhere else in the new testament often used of you know secular writings uh for a runner or a soldier or a worker of of you know they 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 
They would wear those long robes, and so gird up means they'll pick up the bottom of it, and they roll it up, and they tuck it into their belt, and, and now they're ready to run, right? They're, they're just, it's, I kind of picture the, uh, that, that's new style for the gangsters, right? They got the saggy pants all the way down to their knees, and they're like, you know, they wiggle and waggle, and I kind of picture a police officer invented that, you know, so it'd be easier to catch them, <laughs> right? But if they really want to run, they got to really pick it up and, you know, and get going, so gird up your pants, right? That's that's the imagery I get in my mind, but... Um, so to gird up, right? So kind of, it, 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 gird up literally means being ready, right? So, you know, get your house in order. Get ready, get set, go, right? It's kind of the idea. And so Peter's also encouraging us, though, to be sober. And, and being sober, this means to be, uh, well, to not be intoxicated and, and to have a clear mind, to have a clear thought process. So don't be, don't have a clouded mind, right? And, and it carries the idea of being alert, to be watchful, to be ready. And, and so one aspect of being holy, we can say, uh, involves our mind. We are to always be ready. We are always to be on guard. We are always to be alert. And, and, uh, therefore, it is important to be alert, watchful, and mindful in the things that we're putting into our minds. Seriously, I, you know, we gotta do that. Whatever we put into our minds, it's gonna eventually come out, right? And so, uh, we gotta consider that, cause it's gonna be manifested one day. It's gonna come out in our actions and the things that we, we choose to, to think on. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And I I remember um, in Bible college, my teachers would say, you know, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. And then all of us students would look at each other like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you know, like, and and uh, I remember one of the students wrote, rose his hand. He's all, that makes no sense at all. <laughs> and then the teacher was like, uh, yeah, I guess it kind of doesn't make sense, right? And sometimes we say things to, you know, make ourselves sound good. And, 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 and really, that's not biblical at all. So if you guys say that, that's not biblical. Uh, in fact, the Bible says in Colossians 3, 2, it says, Set your mind on the things above and not on the things of the earth. You see, if you are, uh, if we're only earthly good, then we're no heavenly good in that sense, right? We, we need to be, um, heavenly minded so that we are earthly good, right? In 2 Corinthians 10, 5, it says bringing some thoughts into captivity, right? Is that the message Bible I'm reading? What's going on here? Bringing a few, oh no, no, bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And and so uh, the second area of holiness in our life, it not only involves our mind, but it also involves our hope. Our hope. Notice there in verse 13, it says, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So our hope must rest fully upon the grace of God. And grace, that's charis, right? Mentioned 156 times in the New Testament. Uh, And it unmerited favor, getting what we do not deserve, and we call it a gift. 
And therefore, our hope, what we're looking forward toward, rest, leans uh, totally upon this free gift uh, from God, grace. And, and note carefully about his grace, by the way. This grace is to be brought to you when? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. So in other words, our hope rests in God's grace as it pertains to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Very interesting. Let me explain. Turn back with me to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus. Um, there's a lot of people in this world that are hopeless because, you know, for them, that's all there is in this life. And, and so they think, you know, after they die, they just stopped ex- existing. And so, but for you and I as believers, we are hopeful. We have our hope in Christ Jesus, right? There, this life is not all there is. There, it, life keep, continues to go. And we're looking forward with an anticipated hope in the, in God's grace, really, regarding, uh, life and the life, you know, hereafter, I guess you can say. And that speaks of the res- revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, Titus chapter 2, look at verse 11. It says, for the grace of God, and notice that, for the grace of God, that's what we're talking about, that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, and that's our word there in First Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 13, righteously and godly in this present age. God's grace is going to teach us these qualities, these things, and so thus we rest our hope fully upon the grace of Jesus Christ, right? And notice in verse 13, looking for the blessed hope, and there it is, and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, go back to First Peter. Um, so our, our, our hope is, you know, resting fully upon the grace of God, not only for salvation, but also rest on the expectation of the coming of Jesus Christ, right? Peter calls it the revelation or the manifestation, if you will, of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ, by the way, will uh, appear twice, right? Um, once for his church, the harpazo, right? The, the, um, the rapture of the church. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to what? To meet, we're going to see the Lord face to face, guys. This is going to be amazing, right? To meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Amen? Yeah, yeah. So obviously, Jesus Christ will be revealed at the rapture of the church, but only for the believers, right? But secondly, uh, he's going to be revealed at his second coming. And, and in Revelation chapter 19, verse 16, Jesus Christ is going to come on a, uh, a white horse. And, you know, on his thigh will be written, you know, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. But he'll come to judge the nations, right? Matthew 25, Daniel chapter 12. And after that, he's going to set up his millennial uh, reign, the rule and reign of Jesus Christ here on earth, according to Revelation 20, verses 3 and on. And and so clearly, this really can carry, you know, two ideas. So which one is it? Well, I don't know. I don't <laughs> All I know is I'm either, I'm with the Lord, and I think both of them, right? Because I think I'm pretty determined the rapture is going to happen 
very soon, like now. No, okay, oh, false prophet, right? But um, but I'll be with the Lord either or, so I don't, we're either going up with the Lord or we're coming back down with the Lord, you know, we're going to be on horses with the Lord, it's going to be a great time, but anyways, so let's come to the third area of holiness in our life, it involves obedience, according to verse 14, go back to First Peter, notice in verse 14, it says, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to former lust, as in your ignorance. Now, Peter contrasts the way we used to be prior to salvation, right? We were lustful. We were ignorant. Amen. Then after salvation, we were as obedient children. And, and, uh, you know, I, lo- I love my children. They're obedient. Uh, and then when I leave the room, they're not obedient anymore. <laughs> when I leave them with my wife, all of a sudden they're like, ah, and they're like, that's all we're good, right? But, so children are always obedient. You know, they're disobedient as well. And so, um, well, that's the question right there is, uh, how, what is the solution to disobedience? You know, more, is it more rules? Is it more regulations that we got to place on them? Is it yelling and screaming at them? Right? And all of a sudden they're going to be like, you know, perfect, holy little children. No. How, how does God deal with us? Right? Did, did he put more rules and regulations on you? Did he uh, yell at you and scream at you? No, God deals with us with his love, with his grace, with his mercy. It's by the, it, the, the Bible tells us it's the Holy Spirit uh, in us. Is he's teaching us all things, right? And, and uh, just as our hope rests fully in God's grace uh, for eternal life, we also need to rest our hope in God's grace, in uh, in obedience, in life, right? And that speaks of our conduct. Check out Romans 1.5. It says, through him we have received grace. And that's our word. And apostleship for what? For obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. So the only way that you and I can be obedient unto the Lord is by your own strength. By your own might. By his Spirit, really. It's only through his grace that you can do anything. And and you can't even access that grace unless you humble yourself. If you're prideful, you can't even have his grace because you're so caught up in yourself. Very interesting. And that's why, mom and dad, um, prayer is vital. It's vital. It's super important uh, for your children and the people you're dealing with. We got to pray. We're living in a spiritual warfare, right? And we got to we got to act like it, right? Get in the game. We got to pray for each other. So, are we praying for our children that God's Spirit, you know, touches their hearts? And just as you were changed, you know, it it uh, it was God working in and through your life. Uh, it was not someone beating you over the head with the Bible, you know, and being like, "Yeah, you need Jesus," ah, or or trying to put rules and regulations on you. It was none of that stuff. So um, just consider it. We need we need prayer more so in our lives. Um, let's come to the fourth and final area um, involved in. What am I doing here? Involved in uh, in our, the holiness in our lives. Um, it involves uh, our example. Notice in verses fifteen and sixteen, it says, "But as he who called you is holy." You also be holy in all your conduct. Why? Read verse 16. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am 
holy. Quoting from Leviticus 11.44 and Leviticus 19.2, what is an example for you and I? Wow, that's an example for you and I. It's God himself. That's amazing. He is our perfect example of perfection. He's absolutely perfect. He's absolutely holy. He's absolutely sinless. And, and Peter's saying that God is our example. In fact, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, he says, Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And so we are to be like our Father, we're to be perfect. Wow, that's a pretty high standard, don't you guys think? That's, right? I'm here to tell you guys, it's not hard. You know where I'm getting? It's not difficult. It's impossible, right? You can't be perfect in and of yourself, of your own flesh, right? We can't. It's impossible. So, in order to be perfect, it's only by his grace. It's by his spirit in us, right? And, and, but Peter's saying God is our perfect example and, uh, what it means to be perfect. People often ask, you know, can I do this or can I do that? And, and I love to play around with them and be like, yeah, of course you could do that. And they're like, oh, you're a pastor and you just said that. I could do that. And I'm like, of course you can. But should you, right? As you always got to answer a question there. Um, but, and, and they're like, oh, you know, so here's some questions you guys could ask yourself when you, you know, are faced with, you know, that decision of, oh, you know, should I do that? Is it gray? Is it white? Is it black? I don't know. Uh, what should I do? You know, ask yourself, is it helpful? Is it helpful? Is it what I am going to do or say or go to or whatever it may be? Is it going to help me in my walk with the Lord? You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verse 12, he said, in the beginning, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. And and uh, also ask yourself, is it powerful? Because at the end of this verse, in uh, in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, it says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Is, is what I'm going to do, or is what I'm going to say, is it going to bring me under its power, right? Or in it, under its bondage? Will it bring me under its, its, its power? Would it, will, will it bring me under its addiction, if you will, right? Consider it. Does it stumble others? In 1 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to uh, those who are weak. So if what we're going to do stumbles a believer in their walk, then you're in the wrong. You're in sin now because you've stumbled your brother in their relationship with the Lord. And you might just say, oh, it's not my problem. They're not mature and they're not, you know, it's it's their problem. They're the weak ones. And, and no, 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 the Bible's very, very clear. You're the problem because you're stumbling your brother. Now you're in sin. And and uh, so does it bring glory to God? Ask yourself that, that question. Is this going to bring glory to the Lord? You know, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says, therefore, whether you eat or drink, drink oh there it is again or whatever you do do it all to the glory of god you know should i do this should i do that consider these things in your life you know these questions in your heart and uh well let's come to the second thing understanding your salvation should uh, definitely result in a holiness in our life but it also should result in a healthy fear of god in our life notice in verse 17 uh through 21 but notice in verse 17, it says, And if you call on the Father, 
uh, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. This fear is relating back to the Father, and it involves a healthy fear, right? This word fear. It's used 46 times in the New Testament, and it carries the idea, and, and I mentioned the word healthy for a reason, because it's not a terrifying, you know, fear of God, like, ah! right? It's, it's a healthy fear of God, and it, it, which is good, right? It's a good reverential fear, I've heard, um, uh, to be in awe of the Lord and just his awesomeness. You know, you're just, wow, you know, and it's really hard to explain this word, but just as a child uh, stands before his father in uh, reverence and, and re- revering his father, you know, so too we stand before the Lord with that godly fear. And, and check out Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. In fact, in chapter 10, verse 27, it says, the fear of the Lord prolongs days. Um, also in chapter 14, verse 27, it says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. In chapter 22, verse 4, it says, By humility and fear of the Lord are, number one, riches, number two, honor, number three, life. And and so clearly the fear of the Lord is a good and healthy uh thing to have in our walk with the Lord. And uh, it's, uh, I could go forever on teaching on just the fear of the Lord alone. So you guys, I encourage you guys, study just the, the, the word fear of the Lord. Start from Genesis, right? And just look up the passage, the fear of the Lord, and then read each verse on the fear of the Lord. And you'd be shocked of how much the Bible, how much God has intentionally Put this within Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and on and on and on throughout, all the way to Revelation. He's just all over the place. And uh, it's just amazing. So I think if we have this healthy fear of God, it really involves understanding these four things uh, that are here in our text. Number one, it involves understanding that he is our Father. He's our Father. Notice in verse 17, and if you call on the Father. Now, the word if is in the first class condition here. So we would say, since, indeed, in fact, right, we are calling uh, God uh, uh, Almighty, our Father. And and so we should reverence him uh, as a child, you know, reveres his Father. And this is, amazes me, by the way, that we can have this type of relationship with God. That's just Uh, Paul would say in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, uh, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba. Abba, Father. Abba, meaning Father or Daddy. Right? We would say, I I picture my kids, um, I remember when there was this loud noise, and I forget what it was, but they both looked straight at me, and they ran straight up to me, and they just grabbed me and held me, right? And they're like, Daddy, right? And it was like, oh, right? It just makes you melt. And uh, But I do the same thing to the Lord all the time. You know, if I'm looking at the clouds, I'm like, oh, Lord, check that out. Or I'm at, you know, looking at the stars, and there's a shooting star. Oh, Lord, did you see that? That was so cool, you know? And it's just, of course he sees. He's the one that is just like, ding. It's all show, and he's like, "Check this out. This is for you." And you know, and just to think, like, it's just so cool. But um, why did I say all that? Okay, so, but yeah, just think about it. The God of the universe, who spoke the world 
into existence, right? And, and the God who holds the universe within the spam of his hand allows you and I to call him daddy. How cool is that, right? We can come boldly before the throne of God. Hey, daddy, dad, hey, you know, and he's dealing with, you know, He's God, you know, he's judge of the ruler of the world and, 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 and he's doing, you know, so much stuff right then and, and we could interrupt and just say, Dad, Dad, you know, that's what my kids do. I'm like talking with somebody and like, you know, yeah, this is what the Bible says. Dad, Dad, what, what, what is it? You know, and they're like, oh, um, I was running over there and then, uh, then over there and then there was a bird that flew by. It was pretty cool. Like, oh, good job. All right. I'll talk to you later. Right. It's, they know that they could come to me whenever they want. It's pretty cool. But that's when we, we, we could come up boldly before the throne of God's grace, right? Whenever we want. And I think that's super neat as well. But also having a healthy fear of God, uh, involves understanding that he is judge. Notice the rest of verse 17. It says, who without partiality judges according to each one's work. And will God judge everyone's work? Oh, of course he will, right? Um, and believers and non-believers, I should add, right? Believers will not be judged in light of uh, salvation, uh, but in light of their conduct, right? In light of the, the, the reason, why did you do the works that you did? What was the motive? What was the heart behind the things that you did? Because it's not about what you did on earth of why you're being uh, judged. It's, it's, the, it's the heart of the reason that, of why you did that. Because I could do a billion good things in this world, but my heart might have been in the wrong motive. And so thus I won't be rewarded based on those things, right? So, um, but but the the judgment is different for unbelievers, right? That's why we read in what, what Peter is saying here in verse 17, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear. And every believer, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, well, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of God, the Bema seat, right? And according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, it says, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. So what we as believers will be judged on is not on our salvation, but based on our conduct, right? Based on our works and, and the things that we did out here on the earth. But for the non-believer, they're going to be judged totally different, right? Uh, Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Um, and and they'll, they'll stand in the great white throne of God and, and there'll be, they're going to be judged based on their work singular, based on their uh, rejection of Jesus Christ, that he is God Almighty come in the flesh, that he is the Lord and Savior. And and so the question for every one of us is, how do we want to stand before God? You know, do you want to stand before God as a child of God, or do you want to stand before God in, well, as an enemy of God? You know, it's a scary place to be. And, and understand um, this judgment will be eternally different, for sure. Uh, well, let's come to the third thing here. Uh, the third thing involved in understanding, you know, this healthy fear of God uh, is that he is our redeemer. He's our redeemer. Notice in verse 18, uh, it says, knowing that you were not redeemed 
this word redeemed, by the way, is only used three times in the New Testament, and it means a ransom or a price that was paid. So often referred to in light of a slave, right? A slave is owned by his master, but a slave can receive freedom uh, if the price was, you know, for a slave was paid. And and so a slave can be purchased, bought, redeemed uh, from the bondage of slavery. So too it is with us. We have been redeemed. We have been uh, purchased. We have been bought uh, from under the curse of the law, Galatians talks about. And so in the price of our redemption really involves four things uh, that are outlined in our text for us. It is number one, it involves the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. Notice in verse 18, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So as valuable as gold and silver really are, uh, they cannot buy you salvation. But God, here, check this out. I got all this gold. You want it? Hey, look at this. And God's like, really? That's asphalt in heaven, really. Yeah, that's our streets. I don't want that. But they can't purchase redemption, right? Notice he speaks of the traditions of our fathers. Uh, And that speaks of our good works, right? We can't buy our way into heaven, uh, nor can we earn our way into heaven by what we do. It's by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, right? And him alone. So according to verse 19, he is the lamb without spot. Uh, and, and that alone becomes significant since this points us back to the Passover. Um, if you guys remember in Exodus chapter 12, um, get the picture. The children of Israel, they're in bondage for 400 years. They're in Egypt, right? And God sends these 10 plagues. And the 10th plague is the, the angel of death, right? Basically comes within the camp and the area. And God said, you know, uh, Make your, your, your bread without leaven because speaking of the urgency, right? They're, they're, the, the, the wording there is the gird up their, they gird up their loins, right? Be ready. And, and they're gonna be having that urgency to exit Egypt and get out of there as soon as they can. So what, what did they do? According to first Peter chapter one, verse 13, they girded up their loins, right? They had the idea of being ready. They took their robes, right? And, and they baked their bread without leaven and, and, uh, then they were told in Exodus chapter 12, verse 5, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And they were to kill the lamb, take the blood of it, and sprinkle the blood of this innocent lamb or goat. And and uh, we're they put it on the, the doorpost, right, in the, the top of the door. And, and they were to... Um, Basically, their their life was saved, right? The the angel of death would come through and he would pass over and thus the Passover. But Peter's pointing up a picture here that Jesus is the Lamb of God. John said in John chapter 1, verse 29, really it was uh, John the Baptist here too, but it says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So you see, you and I were redeemed. We were bought and purchased at a price uh, and that price was not free, by the way. It's free for you, yeah, but it wasn't just nothing to God. It cost him his life, his entire life. And and uh, he is the perfect sacrifice. In fact, in Hebrews 7, 27, at the end, um, 
For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. And, and, uh, man, there's just so much there. But no, secondly, uh, not only does God, uh, or does it involve the blood of Jesus, right, and what God did for you and I, but secondly, it involves the destiny of Jesus. Notice in verse 20, it says, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. So Jesus Christ was revealed in the last time, speaking of his early ministry, right, as a lamb that was slain for you and I. And understand that this was not a, a an afterthought, a last minute thing where God was like, you know, I'm going to redeem mankind. He just boom out of his out of nowhere. Um, God didn't just wake up and decide, I'm just going to redeem mankind, right? It didn't happen like that. According to verse 20, this was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Wow, Peter understood that this, by the way, you guys remember in Acts chapter 2 and the day of Pentecost, and Peter's delivering this, you know, awesome message, very powerful and jam-packed there, speaking of the gospel of Jesus Christ, 3,000 get saved, which is funny because in the Old Testament, 3,000 died by the law, and yet when grace is, you know, presented by the gospel, 3,000 are saved. This is really cool. But he said in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, uh, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Um, it's by the foreknowledge of God is when he was... So you might ask, well, when was Jesus crucified? What, what really happened here? According to Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, it says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain. When was he slain? When was he crucified? Before the foundation of the world. Right? Drop the mic. Right? Understand that before the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ was, he died for you and I. And, and at the cross, it was simply manifested, right? What he was, he, was, he determined before he created you that he was going to die on the cross for you. Before he created Adam and Eve. Wow. Isn't that just like, whew. no wonder the angels are scratching their heads and they don't understand, you know, these things. They're looking into, they're looking at us like, why would you do that? <laughs> do you know these people? They, they're sinners. Why would you die for them? And they, they just, they look into the grace of God. But the third thing involved in the price of our redemption is, well, there is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. According to verse 21, notice in verse 21, it says, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So clearly the resurrection separates uh, biblical Christianity from every other religion in the face of this planet, right? Without the resurrect- resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no Christianity at all. There's no salvation. Uh, read what Romans 4.25, read all of 1 Corinthians 15. It, it, it's in vain. So it involves the glorification uh, of G- uh, well of Jesus Christ according to verse 21 at the end here. So what is involved in the price of redemption? Well, number one, the blood of Jesus. Number two, the destiny of Jesus. Number three, the resurrection of Jesus. But number four, the glorification of Jesus. And notice it says, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. So when did Jesus, or when did God give Jesus glory? Because isn't Jesus God according to, um, what is it, John 10, 31, or is it John 10, 30? No, 
31, I think it is. But I and the Father are, are one, right? So if God, if Jesus was in the beginning with God, and he is God, I mean, isn't he always glorious? Doesn't he always have this glory? And, and uh, yeah, right? So when was Jesus given glory? Of course, in time past, he's always been glorious, obviously. So this speaks of the ascension. So when Jesus Christ ascended from earth to heaven, uh, and he did what? He sat at the right hand of the Father, right? Uh, and, and according to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, that we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, but for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, and there it is, he's crowned with glory, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Amazing. I gotta take my breath here. But let's come to the fourth and final thing uh, in our section here. And we'll end with this. Um, He is our faith and hope as well. Notice at the end of verse 21, who through him believe in God who was raised from the dead and gave him glory. Yep, so that, here it is, your faith and hope are in God. So that your faith and hope are in God. So our faith and our hope are in God and his ability to save us. And that should result in good works. You know, if, if we place our faith and our hope in anyone or anything, you are hopeless. You have no hope. And, you know, if we understand that the glory of our salvation, uh, really it should result in, well, holiness, you know, in our lives, a, a fear, a healthy fear of God in our lives. Uh, but number three, a heart of love for others should just naturally be the byproduct, right, by the Holy Spirit in your life. Um, God will naturally, by his spirit, produce this in and through your life. And And notice in verse 22, it says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. This word love is Philadelphia. This is the Philadelphia love, right? We're only used six times in the New Testament. It's speaking of that brotherly love. It's that love that you and I have for each other, right? And and this is the type of love that we should definitely have for each other. But uh let me give you guys three three reasons why. Number one, because we have purified our souls. Notice in verse 22, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. Our souls are purified by how? By obeying the truth. And this speaks of our conduct in life. But know carefully that it is through the spirits, right? How can we love one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord? And uh, well, it's a work of the spirit. And some people are, you know, they're tough to love, right? Amen, right? There's some of those where you're like, oh, right? But it's only by the work of the Holy Spirit for sure, right? In our lives where we can love them. And, and, uh, well, let's look at the second thing because we're born again. Uh, you know, that's how we can uh, have that love for each other. It's because you were born again. Notice in verse 22, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So how uh, how are we born again? Well, it's by the word of God. Uh, the power is in the word of God, right? We all know this verse, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and, and piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation 
for everyone who believes, uh, for the Jew first and also to the Greek. But that means the word of God is used by God to bring salvation uh, from God, which ultimately points to Jesus Christ, right? So why? Because in John chapter uh, 1, verse 14, what does it say? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word was manifest. The word became, took on bodily form, took on flesh. God, his word spoken, took on flesh. It's It's, it's amazing. So let's uh, let's go to the last reason we should have this brother, brotherly love for one another is because we are, well, we're withering away. Notice in verse 24 and 25, it says, because all flesh, all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away. And here's the contrast, right? That's why it's the word but. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, this is the word by which the gospel was was preached to you. So um, here Peter quotes from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. And and what a huge contrast that we have here, right? From the word of God that endures forever uh, and our life, which is like the grass of the field, which withers away. And according to James chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, and then it vanishes away. So life is short, thus we need to love one another. Guys, we need to love one another. Ah, get Get right with those you know, that that you need to get right with, right? Life is short, and Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, you know, come, let us reason with one another. Try to reason as much as you can. Try to make peace with, you know, people as as much as you can, right? Just try to, try, try, you know, at least try. And and uh, the point of the whole section is, if you really knew how glorious this salvation really is that we have in Christ Jesus as believers in Christ, that it's secure, it's incorruptible, it won't fade away, it's held in heaven for you and I, reserved by the power of God, hey, it should result in a holiness in our life, it should result in a healthy fear of God in our life, and it also should result in a love, a healthy love, I guess you could say as well, um, for others in our life, right? That we should love one another. So uh, let's pray. Let's pray, guys. Um, let's also pray for, yeah, well, our pastor, uh, but also for uh, our presidents as well. Just all the things that are going on right now with all the signs that we see in, on earth, they're... they're uh, there are amazing things happening right now in our time, and people are going about living day to day as if nothing is going on, right? As if, you know, as if it was yesterday, as if it was 100 years ago, and yet our earth is 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 just doing some amazing things right now. And the Bible talked about these things. And so, if anything, get excited, guys, because we're in the last days. We are, we're out of here, <laughs> 
But let's bring as much people as we can to the Lord. Let's encourage them to know who Jesus is. Let's, let's, uh, just love on them, right? Serve them if, if need be as much as possible to bring them into Christ and, and pray for them, right? Don't, don't go and slap them with the Bible as much as you can. Pray, 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 pray. And then when you're done praying, pray again. <laughs> Just keep praying. So let's, uh, let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you so much for your word. Again, thank you for your faithfulness. And just speaking, Lord, of, uh, Lord, you're the creator of all things, the creator of this universe. And, uh, Lord, you love us so much that you were willing to lay down your life for us, Lord, astonishing all of creation, especially the angelic host, and how they scratch their heads, Lord, and they, they are in wonder of this grace that you've given us. And I thank you so much for the salvation that you've given us as the body here and uh, the work that you've been doing naturally, Lord, through us by your spirit. I pray that you would continue to do that, Father. Be with our pastor. I pray that you would uh, continue to encourage his heart, build him up, Lord, and and, uh, and uh, bring him back to us safely, Lord, him and Judy, and, and keep them from sickness, Lord, that they might just enjoy their time. And also, uh, be with our president, Father. I pray that you would... Uh, uh, it seems like he's a believer, but I don't know. I'd ask, that, Lord, if he's not, that you would uh, speak to his heart, convict him by your spirit, that he would know you, that he would uh, choose to glorify you and choose to honor you. I pray that you would uh, shake him up, Lord, and where he's at, and that you would bless him, Lord. Be with him, and uh, that your Holy Spirit would guide him uh, into all truth, Lord. And, and uh, just ask that you would be with the peace of Jerusalem as well, that you would uh, watch over Israel, uh, that no weapon formed, Lord, would uh, enter in and, and harm anybody. I pray today would be a time of uh, just rest and uh, just people would be blessed there, Lord. And thank you again uh, for the work that you're doing here. And um, I think I got 15 minutes, Lord, so I could just keep talking to you for 15 minutes. This is great. Uh, but we just I just love you, Lord. And I thank you for again for our church. And I thank you for the work that you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen.